boy. Okay, I've recorded 15 million of these, but doing it by myself is scary. Hi, readers, friends, complete internet strangers. My name is Danielle. I go by Danny on the internets and in real life, I suppose. You may know me from my other podcast, Black Chicklet. I run that with Molly over at the Twitter account, Black Chicklet. Um, or maybe you don't. I'm not trying to be presumptuous. This podcast is uh, different. On this podcast, I, along with a weekly guest, will be discussing the Ice Planet Barbarian series because what the fuck? I'm going to go solo on this episode because I need to explain myself. So if you know what all this is about, get ready. If you don't, I'm sorry, I have to be the one to guide you into this. Um, So if you don't know me, here's the gist. I love books, romance in particular. I love podcasts, especially podcasts that do a deep dive into one specific nerdy thing. TV shows, books, anything, cooking, the stories behind theme songs. I'm here for it. Um, And I have a degree in journalism and I work in marketing. So content creation, quote unquote, the jargon, content creation is just a thing I do. Writers write, bakers bake, content creators produce and disseminate multimedia content. So it makes sense that this, this whole endeavor pouring into your ears right now would be a logical thing I would do with my time. So yes, (laughs) have you heard the story of how Suzanne Collins got the idea for Hunger Games? So like apparently she was lying in bed one evening and flipping back and forth between a reality TV show competition and coverage of the Iraq war and inspiration just sparked. She mushed the two together and boom, we got the Hunger Games. Um, That's what happened to me, except replace the game show and the Iraq war with a living single podcast and Ruby Dixon's Instagram account. Someone in my feed, we will get to them, shared a picture of a bright blue dildo she had posted while listening, while I was listening to some very funny ladies break down Maxine and Kyle's sizzling sexual tension and voila, here we all are. Can't lie, I'm sort of nervous. The series has a very big reputation and I'm a very big hot mess. But I'm also kind of excited. Uh, No matter how, you know, I dig into this book in this episode and any critiques I have, I do genuinely enjoy the series and I love talking about it with people even more because every time I turn around, someone brings up some new bonkers point or some crazy plot point that I forgot about and then I have to spend 10 or 15 minutes just delving into it deeper. So yeah, this whole production, again, this, this, podcast that's streaming to you through your phone or your computer. This whole thing is the nerdiest shit I have ever done, but I think it'll be really fun. So let's kick this off. Welcome to the Ice Planet Podcast. So fun fact, I briefly considered naming this podcast Dispatches from Nat Hoth. And in fact, all of the working files are saved in a folder titled Dispatches from Nat Hoth. The digital marketer in me was like, oh no, sweetie, the SEO. So that's why that didn't happen. But, you know, fun, fun backstory. So speaking of marketing, I'm going to tell you a story. That recollection actually has nothing to do with marketing. So I don't know. That was a weird segue. August 2018. I'm at work and I'm searching for something to listen to. I blown through all my podcast episodes. I didn't want any music. I wanted some chatter. I wanted some voices. I wanted some conversation. So I decided to look for an audiobook. 
I wanted something short and fun and not too literary. I can't follow crazy, ridiculous storylines or, you know, pretty writing, whatever, and focus on my work. So I'm scrolling through the titles when I see the clinchiest of clinchy, sexy, smexy romance cover I'd seen in a good long time. There's a woman sitting with her head thrown back and a large, horned man pressed against her bosom. The title, bosom, bosom, boobs, breast, who am I? Some old lady, boobs, breast. There was a man pressed against her boobs. The title in an icy blue, all caps font read, Ice Planet Barbarians. Now I had, that that was already enough to be like, well, what's going on there? I also realized that I recognize the author's name, Ruby Dixon. A few months before I had seen an ad for her Corsair series, on Tumblr of all places, and I checked them out through Kindle Limited. Unlimited. Kindle Limited is a terrible brand. Um, they were fun, and I figured this series could be a good listen. I didn't think it would be too complex. I didn't think it'd be too boring. It'd be the perfect background listen for a work day. Um, <laughs> and that started this whole thing because boy, did I misjudge that one. I get to my feet, and as I do, a soft clink at my feet catches my attention. I look down and there's something gleaming in the firelight on the tip of my boot. I pick it up, frowning. It fell out of my leggings. What on earth? It looks like a plastic little Y of sorts, which is weird. Did it get stuck in my boot from when we were at the Elder Spaceship? But if so, how? I gasp as I realize what I'm looking at. It's not from the Elder Ship. It's my IUD. Somehow, my body has forced it out. My queen must have been silently working on pushing it out of my system. I clutch it in my hand, my heart hammering with excitement. This changes everything. Now I can get pregnant. Now I can resonate. I can have a mate. Just to clarify, that woman is in space, surrounded by aliens, and her IUD just fell out of her uterus. Just skerplop, or just skerplink. <laughs> right on the ground. So things only get wilder from there. Not to spoil things, but a pterodactyl shows up. Which means I guess I just spoiled it, sorry. None of the characters call it a pterodactyl, but that's 187% what it is. I'm really sad this isn't a video because I really want to include that clip from Jurassic Park 3 where that kid is walking across the bridge to what he thinks is his mom, but is in fact a giant flying dinosaur. So just so there's no confusion, and I probably should have stated this straight up, I didn't start with the first book in the series. I started with the sixth book in the series, Barbarian's Mate, because I am here for enemies to lover, or haters to lovers, as this one seemed to be. In fact, I'm going to read you the back cover real quick. Also prepare to judge me throughout this whole series because I can't pronounce anybody's name correctly. Resonance is supposed to be a dream. That's when your soulmate is chosen for you, and everyone on the ice planet has hooked up with a big, hunky soulmate of their own. Except me. So do I want a mate? Heck yeah. More than anything, all I've ever wanted is to be loved by someone. Except that the soulmate chosen for me, my least favorite person on the darn ice planet. Hayden's the most cranky, disapproving, unpleasant, overbearing male alien. So why is it that my body sings when he gets close? Why is he working so hard to prove to me that he's not as awful as I think he is? I hate him. Don't I? Right? That's some good shit, right? Yeah. I finished it in a day. I have this crystal clear memory of sitting in the parking garage after work, not going anywhere, just listening to this book. So we're not actually going to get into that book in this episode. Like, we'll get to it. It just won't be in this episode. I just wanted to share the story of how I discovered this Crazy Pants series. So after that, 
I decided I had to go back and read the first one. And then I read the next one and the next and the next. And before I knew it, I was in a Ruby Dixon Facebook group and buying titles on Amazon. And now I guess I've started a podcast. So what's the deal with the series? Why is it stuck with me? Why is it nearly two years later, I'm still talking about it? Well, first of all, it's as I said, it's an unabashedly bonkers series of books. The heroes are giant blue aliens with horns and tails and spurs. We will get to those. Don't you worry about it. Everyone is infested with possibly sentient symbiotic parasites. They make your boobs purr when you find your soulmate. And there are giant dinosaur birds that are a legitimate threat to the safety of anyone under 5'7". I cannot understate how much that pterodactyl scene affected me. Still with me all this time. The dialogue is legitimately funny at times thanks to the girls' culture shock at finding themselves living in a Stone Age ice planet and the constant miscommunications between the Saku and the humans. Hi, Editor Danielle here. I say Saku when I meant Sakui. That'll be a thing that happens in this podcast. I can't say these names. They're bonkers. Saku, Sakui. The, the blue alien dudes. You know what I'm talking about. Back to your regular scheduled programming. Also, the Saku have no problems talking very bluntly about sex with anyone at any time usually with very hilarious results. If I were to put on my literary analysis hat, however, I think the series shines because despite the sometimes iffy consent issues and the admittedly suffocating heteronormativity of the series, heteronormativity, that's a word, yes, of the series, it's unapologetic in its embrace of common female romantic fantasies. The barbarians, I mean, excuse me, the Saku value women. Value feels like an understatement. They deeply treasure women and what women mean to their society because thanks to a sickness that spread through their tribe, they don't have a lot of them. In fact, I think there are two women of mateable age in the tribe. Both of them have been paired up, resonated to other males. And we're told that it's every Saku male's dream to find a mate and have babies, to form a family. Once they find that person, they are utterly devoted to them. The hero of this book himself says, I want to tell Georgie that she is mine, that she is my resonance that she is safe with me and I won't let any harm come to her if she'll just trust me, that she is my light and my reason for being now, and that we shall create a hearth and family together. So like, what's the opposite of a fuckboy, a make love man? Yeah, that's what they are, make love men. They treasure these women no matter their size, shape, race, ability. The series heroines range from tiny and petite to tall and plump. Admittedly, the majority are white, but later we get a black heroine and an Asian American heroine. One heroine is a deaf woman who signs and reads lips. Another has anxiety and suffers from severe panic attacks. Early in the series, all the women are 22, but later in the series, Gail, a postmenopausal woman, is introduced, and she too gets her own age-appropriate blue alien boyfriend who loves her and wants nothing more than to coddle and dote on her. And like, honestly, I could spend all day talking about Gail because she proves that even without the hormones and the biology of resonance, these men love hard. And like, listen... I get it. Even if that doesn't exactly jive with my own ideas of the perfect romance, I get the appeal of being loved so much, of being the center of someone's entire world. Now, honestly, I think I would find that extremely suffocating in real life, but it's fun to read about on the page. That's the point of romance, to escape for a bit and enjoy the fantasy. Another big point in this series' favor is how well it usually, we'll get to it, handles consent. The Saku are really big on consent. Rape and sexual assault are inconceivable to them. To harm a woman is, in any way, is seen as the ultimate crime. 
to assault her in a sexual manner is taboo. To prove this, in one of the later books, later, I think it's like the third actually, in one of the later books, one of the women is found by a feral outsider who resonates to her. Spoiler alert again, I guess. I'm sorry, there's spoilers everywhere in this thing. Um, who resonates to her. We'll get to that. I'll explain that. He knows no English, nor any of the native Saku language, save one word, no. So when he begins touching the heroine and she responds by saying no, he stops immediately. There is no hesitation. This man doesn't know what a comb is. He's running around in the snow as naked and blue as the day he was born, but he still knows that no means no. And look, we all know that consent is required in a good romance, but the writer in me appreciates the fact that consent is still treated as a core value by these aliens and by the society itself, despite the fact that they all have little blue worms in them that are basically like fuck or die. So here for it. Even as, you know, the cooies are screaming in their chest, the men still respect the boundaries that the women set and it's great. Uh, finally, the books are pretty clever. Good sci-fi requires good world building and Ruby Dixon is pretty great at this. She's created multiple fictional species of flora and fauna to populate Nathoth, the most notable being the Kui, the symbiotic parasite I mentioned earlier, which plays a pretty big role in the plot of the stories. Side note, some of the women call it a cootie. I will not do this. That's all I want to say about that. Let's not dwell on it. So this feels like a good segue to actually start talking about one of the books. So Ice Planet Barbarians is book one of the Ice Planet Barbarians series, and it's got to do some pretty heavy lifting, establishing our setting, our first group of couples slash future couples, and the logic that makes up Not Hoth. That's one of the reasons why I decided to do this episode solo. To be honest, it's a bit heavier in tone, that is, a bit heavier and less bonkers than the others, not only because it's got so much work to do setting things up, but we have to deal with the trauma of getting the women to the ice planet. Whatever guest I had on would have to spend half the episode with me just explaining things, and that's no fun. Also, another, I'm going to say this again as we get closer to it, but there's a pretty big content warning for rape and assault in this in this book. I will not dwell on it in this episode. I will mention it, but I won't go in graphic detail. But yes, that's another reason why I didn't want to invite someone on. I didn't want to put someone through having to read that scene that I'm not even comfortable with and then try and have a fun recording session. I don't know. So let's just get into the book. Why don't we? Why don't we do that? So the book starts by introducing us to Georgie, who is just a normal, everyday girl who works at a bank and one day wakes up to find that she's been abducted by basketball-headed aliens. And she is now being held captive in the cargo hold of a spaceship. Georgie is joined by eight other girls who've also found themselves stolen from their homes as part of this interstellar trafficking ring. We meet Liz, a Libby blonde, Kira, a cautious and cynical woman who serves as a translator thanks to an earpiece that has been stapled to her ear. Megan, who we learn was pregnant before her abduction but wakes to find her babies gone. And Josie, who, if I may quote my friends at Heaving Bosoms, has bird bones. She's tiny. Georgie learns that they are all 22, they are all healthy, and they all live alone with no strong ties to family, making them easy to capture with no fuss. They also all learn that they have trackers that have been embedded into their skin and they're not alone in the cargo hold. There are six other girls who are in stasis. Georgie and her gang are the extras. So here's where that content warning comes in and where I get very serious. The aliens that abduct them are very bad. They abuse the girls and at one point gang rape a few of them. It's terrible. It makes my stomach drop whenever I reread it. It's completely out of tone with the rest of the series. I don't like that it's in this book and it's one of the reasons that I recommend new readers of the series skip it. 
there is a plot point revolving one of the women, one of the victims, so to say, who is named Dominique. She has a very tragic end, and I think it's one of the lowest points of the whole series. I really wanted more for her and her arc. So skip past through that. If you are a new reader or you are suggesting this book to a new reader, I think you could honestly pick up after the ship crashes. Not miss a thing. Just know that they're abducted. That's really all you need. Through some heroics, the girls take over the ship and crash land on a planet. Since they're all mostly alive, they figure it's a hospitable planet. It's freezing cold, seems to be made of nothing but snow and ice, and has two suns. But they can breathe the air, and that's what counts. They decide they need to go out and investigate, and since Georgie is the girl's designated leader, she is the one to volunteer to do so. So she's out and about for less than a day before she nearly gets eaten by a fangfish, which is exactly what it sounds like, and snared in a hunting trap. And that's when Vekdal, our hero, stumbles upon her and immediately resonates to her. So here we are. I gotta explain what resonance is because it's a major plot point in all of the books. As I mentioned earlier, it's every Saku male's dream. Uh, I assume it's every Saku's dream to resonate. Resonance occurs when a person's kui, that parasite I mentioned, identify the person who will help them make the most perfect, the strongest, the healthiest babies. Saku can only reproduce during resonance, and up to that point, the men shoot blanks. I think it's implied that the women don't ovulate until this happens. I I've read a lot of these books. I consider myself pretty well-learned about what goes on. I'm still a little shaky on the alien biology, so do not quote me on that. So there are no unrequited resonances in the series. So when it happens, both people's cooies react to each other. Which, after some thought, raises some questions. How do they both know? Is it a chemical or a biological reaction? Are the Kui's reacting to the actual person or the other Kui? And what are they reacting to? Does the Kui act like some kind of Wi-Fi router shooting out its host health info to all the other Kui in network? I don't have the answers. I only have questions. And now you have them too. You're welcome. Anyway, the major symptom of resonance is people gets horny. Extremely. We hear about it in pretty good detail. Dicks get hard, leather panties get wet, which, ew. Once you resonate, you are compelled to mate and mate and mate and mate and mate until a baby is conceived. And you know what? That makes a lot of sense. Not to judge or name names, but I've read other sci-fi romances where the couples have sex for reasons like to create energy, to power their space vessel, to make the Kessel run in less than 12 parsecs. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me. I really appreciate the simplicity of the scenario. The species needs babies, so the parasite gets you to make babies. Boom. So Vectal stumbles across Georgie and resonates to her and is immediately overcome with the need to care and mate to her. You know what? Mostly mate to her <laughs> because he introduces himself by way of cunnilingus. Just straight to the goodies. Georgie wakes up and is confused, but also kind of annoyed, which honestly, that's not the combination of emotions I think I would have, but our girl is resilient. She attempts to wave him off, but he's very good at what he does and gets her off after discovering what a clitoris is. Real talk, not one of my top moments of the series. Kind of makes me uncomfortable. I can't expand any further on that. Just know that I'm very uh, on it. And honestly, that's the best I can articulate it. In defense, Georgie's own thoughts, I think, sum up the situation the best. It's ticklish and it makes me squirm. And I should be screaming, no, help, rape, and instead, I have the giggles because he doesn't want to eat me. He just wants to lick my pussy. I've dated guys that I haven't been able to convince to go down on me and this one's doing it as a greeting. Laughter sweeps through me, relieved and observed all at the same time. I might be a bit hysterical. It somehow doesn't matter. 
I'm not going to die yet. And a strange guy with horns is determined to give me oral pleasure. It's just that out of all the worst case scenarios I've come up with since being abducted by aliens, being licked until I come isn't anywhere on the list. So, you know, as long as she's happy, I'm happy, I guess. But when Vekdal goes in for more, Georgie finally puts her foot down. Literally. On or about near his face. This ends up hurting her more than it does him, and it reignites his must-protect-mate instinct. Honestly, that whole thing is my favorite part of the book. Nay, the whole series. <laughs> These dudes can be very extra when it comes to looking out for the women, and I'm a sucker for it. Vectel is worried because it's clear Georgie's been through some shit. She's banged up, hungry, and very obviously has no coup. This woman, this small creature who is half the stature of a Saku, is my mate. How can she possibly think I would harm her? But she's cringing back even now, as if expecting a blow to fall. Rage fills me because this is not a normal response. Someone has hurt my mate in the past. So, you know, fuck shit up, Bechdahl. I should also point out that when Ms. Dixon writes these books, she writes in first person, alternating POV, point of view. So we get to experience both characters' confusion as they do. She's all like, what's with all the blue? He's all like, what's with her dead eyes? Blah, blah, blah. Why does he have such massive teeth? And back and forth and back and forth. On that note, let's talk about how they look. The barbarian, I, again, rude. I mean, the Saku. I'm so sorry. I gotta stop doing that. They are blue, tall, and jacked. This seems to be a universal trait. Nature, nurture, not entirely sure. Are they that built because of all the hunting and dung gathering and general, you know, hard work required to live on an ice planet? Or is it just encoded in their DNA? Hmm. Their skin is soft and suede-like in places, hard, platy, and rigid in others, including their dick. I promise you we will get to it. They are horned as well as horny. I'm not above making that pun. With each alien having his own style of horns. Some are described as tall and arching. Others are more curved like a ram's horns. They also have tails. I always forget about the tails. And four-fingered hands. And four-toed feet. And their glowing eyes. Oh my God, every time I read in my notes, that one always takes me out because the women are supposed to have them too. But we never see them on the covers. So every once in a while, a character will describe someone's eyes glowing in the dark. And I'll be like, ah, I just picture like a cat running around in the dark with a giant dick. And it's terrifying. Look, really, all you need to know is that they are blue and built. Built like fucking skyscrapers. They can move the drifting snow as easy as walking through a park on a clear day. I'm sorry for the cat dick comparison. I'm so sorry. Anyway, <laughs> Georgie still doesn't really know what's going on with Vectal and his vibrating chest. Her biggest concern is getting back to the ship to save the other women. This is difficult as she can't communicate with Vekdal and he's very insistent on getting her back to the tribe so she can be healed and received a coup. So he's doing a lot of work to help this girl survive. He hunts for her, offers her admittedly raw meat, as well as teaching her how to bathe in the fangfish infested water. And it is during this bath, during a bath, that Georgie teaches her new alien friend how to kiss. I mean, she also gets a real good look at what he's packing, and yeah, things just kind of move forward naturally from there. To be fair, she also begins to warm up to Vectal after realizing that, save the wake-up call featuring his mouth on her vagina, he's been, in her words, kind of sweet. Everything he's done has been designed to please me and give me pleasure, she states. She also reminds herself that it's worth getting on Vectal's good side if she's ever going to convince him to take her back up the mountain to see her friends. To find her friends, oh my gosh. And like, girl, she ain't wrong. The first time I read this book, I was a tad annoyed with Georgie. While she's being hand-fed and taking hot baths, the rest of the women are struggling to stay alive in a crashed cargo vessel on a fucking ice planet. But yeah, she's doing what she can. 
So she tries to entice Bechdel with some lips and some boobs. And you know, as sex and made obsessed as the Saku are, they don't know that much about what they're doing in the first. They know like the basics. They know, they know what goes where, you know, dick and cunt, whatever. They are constantly impressed by the quote unquote creativity of the human woman and the wild places they will put their mouths, which is funny because they are so obsessed with going down on their mates. I just don't understand how they do not think to reverse the scenario. Whatever, they've been alone for a while. <laughs> but even with, after all the kissing and heavy petting, Vectal still doesn't immediately take Georgie up the mountain. So our girl decides she's going to make a run for it. And she ends up running right into a cave of Metlocks. Another new thing I get to introduce you to, Metlocks. They are a constant menace in the series. They're basically smelly, feral yeti, semi-intelligent, abominable snowmen who stink. They can apparently rip a person apart with their bare hands. Everything is horrifying. We learn that the Saku think the Metlocks are extremely stupid, mainly because they are afraid of fire. This is actually an observation that Vekdal makes about Georgie when he first meets her. He builds a fire for her, and when she runs up to it to warm her hands, he's sort of relieved that she's not so dumb as to be afraid of fire and flames and heat. It's, I don't know. I just kind of found it kind of funny. Uh, a note about the Metlecks, I pictured them with beaks for some horrible reason, like big hooked beaks in the middle of their face. I have a very clear image of Yeti snow monsters with unkempt fur, wild eyes, and beaks that I got from some science fiction franchise, and I cannot remember which. I've Googled, I've looked at a list that names every alien species that appeared in the original run of Star Trek. I got nothing. This has nothing to do with this book. I'm just very upset my brain cannot locate this file. So yes, Georgie lands in the middle of this whole den of Metleks, gets bitch slapped by one of them. Another one pulls her hair, they push her down. It's a whole mess. Vectal, unsurprisingly, is not amused by this. He makes a big manly show of saving her from the cave. There's roaring. There's a caveman over the shoulder toss. It's great. I'm Again, that's what I'm here for. So they return to their cave. And after more attempts at communication, they come to the realization that they both kind of sort of like each other. Well, Georgie comes to this realization. She's happy to be alive and grateful to have this big, burly, blue alien boyfriend looking out for her. Vectal reached that conclusion like a dozen chapters back. He's just like, she's my mate. Like, there's really not much to psychoanalyze with Vectal. He's very singular-minded. So yes, Georgie decides to stop fighting her attraction. They have sex. And Vectal's like, she's mine forever, hard eyes. And Georgie's like, oh, I'm so glad this dude can't get me pregnant. And let me tell you, one of them is in for a little surprise. So these sex scenes, y'all, if you haven't read the series, heads up, they are explicit. Ms. Dixon really goes above and beyond to describe what is happening. She gets an A plus for effort, creativity, physics, all of it. I would read you some of the clips, but I am recording this in a semi-public place and I'm already really pushing it with some of this stuff and I don't wanna, I don't wanna get kicked out. So go check it out. Don't let me ruin the surprise. It's, it's fun times for everyone involved. So for the best part, honestly, though, is afterward when Vectal remarks, from now on until my spirit departs this plane, there should be none for me but her. So yeah, like I said, that's some good shit. Dixon can do the sexy smexy and she can do the rom romance very well. Now, here's where the plot picks up. Because, you know, after stumbling out of his cave the next morning, our boy finally picks up what Georgie's been trying to tell him. There are more women on the planet. There are more humans, more potential mates for his tribesmen. 
So they bundle up, trek up the hill, and come across the ship where the rest of the women are staying, and they are just barely clinging to life. They're weak, they're lethargic, a few of them are completely knocked out cold. They have the coup sickness, Vectal explains. They need to get coups or they'll die. So it turns out that along with playing matchmaker, the coups are also what allow creatures on the planet to survive. There's a toxin in the atmosphere that can build up in the body and kill. The coup helpfully, helpfully filters it out. It also makes its host less vulnerable to the cold, helps with healing, and generally keeps the host hale and healthy. So everyone needs a cooey. So we get the cooey from a very large creature called a Sakots. Sakots. I'm going to pronounce it with confusion every time I say it because there's a lot of consonants in this word and I'm never confident when I'm saying it. They are described as shaggy furry at-ats. Me being me, I go straight to a Jurassic Park reference and just imagine furry brontosauruses. They have four eyes, apparently, four glowing eyes. Oh my God, how did I forget that? And tusk. So Vectal can't fight one of these things, fight. Vectal can't hunt one of these things alone. He needs to go back to the tribe and get hunters to help him with the rescue and bringing down one of these huge creatures. So he decides to head back, taking Georgie with him, and they camp for a night at the Elder Cave. Cave, it's a spaceship, a fucking spaceship. A very, very old, but very still intact spaceship with a functioning operational system. So that's awesome. So Georgie goes and questions the onboard Alexa, and she learns that it was originally a pleasure cruise, pleasure cruise ship that landed on the planet to escape a storm. Vegdal himself is a descendant of a people who were stranded on the ice planet more than 250 years ago. She also learns about the Kui and that whole get one or die thing I just explained. Oh, and the computer helps her by zapping her in the head with Vegdal's language. It causes her to collapse and Vegdal freaks out, but I appreciate it so much. Language barriers are one of my most hated sci-fi tropes. I realize that's completely ridiculous and slightly unrealistic, but there it is. One of the reasons I haven't really jumped on board Ruby Dixon's other series, you know, the one with the dragons, is because, when I checked it out at least, nearly every book begins with a couple struggling to understand one another. And it's, I don't have the patience for that. I don't have the time for that. I don't want to read a romance where the main couple can't talk to each other for a third of the book. Love you, Ruby. But I can't do that one. I forgive it here because this series cleverly finds a quick solution to the problem. But I'm telling you, if this whole language mess was repeated in each and every subsequent book, I would I would lose my mind. I, I, I would have lost my mind long ago. So when Georgie comes to, she's finally able to have a full on conversation with Vekdal and learns that he views her as his mate. Georgie ain't entirely on board. So, you know what? I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. There's... There's a whole other sort of little subplot in this part where it's like, oh, is Georgie going to stay with Vectal? And oh, is she going to take the coup? But like, come on, come on. We know what's happening. I'm genre savvy. She's on a ice planet where she has to take this worm to survive. Girlfriend doesn't have any options. So the love story part of the story comes to an end here just about. It then sort of shifts to introduce us to the new men, the tribe, and establish the world we're crashed on and pair up some of these early couples. I want to get to the Sakats hunt because that whole scene is wild. Basically, it's as I said, the women are barely hanging on and Vectal has returned to the tribe to get hunters to take part in the rescue and they are ready and eager to help. <laughs> eager is an understatement. These men are hyped to learn that there are a group of healthy, single, mateable women on the planet. It's as Georgie puts it, open season on human ladies. 
I do not know why I find that phrase so amusing, but I do. Open season on human ladies. So when Vectal returns to the tribe, he introduced Georgie by saying, this is my mate. I resonate for her. She's beautiful to me, different but beautiful nevertheless. I've seen her bravery, her spirit, and her will. She has trusted me when she has no reason to. She has given me her body when she has no coup to compel her. And it does not matter what any eyes think of her but mine. And to me, she is the most wonderful, most attractive, and most compelling of creatures. So yeah, after hearing that little speech, the men are very excited to check out these human ladies. Even if they do eat their meat chard and have no tails and have a third nipple between their legs, we will get to it. So we meet Rahash. Spoiler alert, I mangled his name in almost every episode he's mentioned in. Look forward to it. Um, who we learn has busted horns and a busted face. We meet Saluk, who is one of the biggest and burliest hunters. Ahako, who is sort of introduced as like the fun one. I don't know. I think he's my favorite. And Haydn. I mentioned him earlier. He's the sourpuss who gets together with the woman who lost her IUD. It's a great group of guys. They're a bunch of fun. Anyway, the men go out on this hunt, bringing all the sick women with them so that they'll be more able to quickly get their cooies. That means they bring down these giant creatures and gut them right in front of all the women, which goes over about as well as you'd think. Liz is the only woman who is unbothered by this. They crack open its ribs. It's, it's so detailed. And there are all the cooies, just a mass of these glowing blue spaghetti worms just crawling all over this giant furry brontosaurus's heart. So yeah, cooey are basically heartworms. Georgie, being our fearless leader, agrees to be the first one to receive her cooey. And you know what? I kind of just want to stop there with the hunt, actually. <laughs> I just, she can write some bloody scenes that Miss Dixon, every once in a while in the series, she flirts with body horror. And as much as I don't like it, like, you gotta respect the skill. Like every once in a while, a Sakat uh, will come up and they'll describe someone taking this, this parasite into their body. And it's, it's described with just enough, like she knows what she's doing, just enough horror in there to make you uncomfortable. I respect it. Have you ever seen that show called Monsters Inside Me on Animal Planet? It's giving me those vibes. Google, Google that because that's something. Schistosomiasis is a life-threatening disease caused by parasitic worms. When schistosoma eggs become lodged in organ tissues, the immune system responds by encasing them in a hard shell of specialized cells called a granuloma. Over time, the granulomas build up and cause inflammation, which in turn can lead to organ failure and ultimately even death. Yeah, that clip and that joke was just for me. Everything featured on that show results in death. It's traumatized me at this point. A pro tip, don't swim in untreated bodies of water. I never imagined in putting together this podcast, that's where we'd go, but here we are. You're welcome. So our girl, or all our girls have their cooies, and for Georgie, that means she finally gets hit with resonance. Because remember, resonance is not unrequited. Vectal's been humming for her for the past few days, and now Georgie's buzzer has been flipped on. So it's time for things to get sexy. Again. It's gotten sexy four or five times before this, but this time it's to fulfill residence. I told you we'd get to it, and here we are. Time to talk about the dicks. <laughs> I'm not smooth or clever enough to bring this topic up in any other way. I'm sorry. So the Saku have penises, peni, whatever, that are blue, ridged, and plated. Plated. Da, da, da. Their dicks are huge because, well, the rest of them are. Why not? 
Um, and the men are all very proud of them. You'll learn that. They also have spurs. They're proud of those two. They're just proud of the whole package, honestly. <laughs> um, so spurs. Spurs are an appendage that have been compared to human pinky fingers. Have fun with that whole image. That stick out, protrude right above the Saku's dick. You can't see me, but I am holding up my own pinky <laughs> as I say all this out loud. And like, it's just, it's just ridiculous. Um, it exists apparently, I want to say to tickle because that just amuses me. But let's go with the word stimulate. It exists to stimulate the clitoris or the third nipple as the men refer to it. And like, as an aside, I could do a whole episode just on how language is used in this book. Just so much. Children are called kits. Vaginas are called cunts. Mating outside of residence is called pleasure mating. There's a lot of, there's a lot. There's a lot. You know what? I think I just talked myself into it. That might be coming. Look for that uh, fun discussion on how Ruby Dixon uses language because I could go on and on. So the spur appears to be a controversial feature not amongst the women in the book. They love it. That seems to be the universal opinion. Um, but among readers and people who I've discussed, some seem to love it. Others aren't entirely sure. And you know what? You know what? We're not going to get too much into the spur. I've changed my mind because you'll be hearing about it a lot. I've recorded these episodes out of order. And I have since learned that everyone wants, nay, needs to talk about the spur. So don't worry. Basically, all you need to know, tiny little finger protruding above their dick. <laughs> just, I'm just wiggling my pinky finger, cracking myself up. What am I doing right now? Um, that tickles the clitoris. And that's what that's about. Above their plated, plated, very large penis. So just try and put all those pieces together and see what you come up with. So uh, where was I going with this? Honestly, how do I even get back on track? Couples always have great sex on Adhoth, and the women always come first. <laughs> Make love men, I'm telling you. We're told that sex with your residence mate is unlike anything one can experience. There's apparently a saying amongst this tribe that there is no pleasure like the taste of a residence mate on your lips. So yep, there's that. Um, so Georgie and Vectal go for it, and go for it again, and again. Um, Vectal learns what doggy style is, and that rocks his whole world. Georgie's too, TBH, because... Spur. And then the book just sort of ends. Well, Georgie's story ends. We learn that one of the men, Rahosh, with the busted horns and the busted face, has taken off with Liz, the lippy blonde, remember, who had the strong stomach? So we're going to pick up her story in the next episode. So yeah, that's, that's Ice Planet Barbarians. The book, not the series. Oh, there's so much more in this series to discuss. This episode didn't even touch half the things, but I got to leave some surprises for later. Um, I'm actually really sad because I could not find a way to sneak in this quote. So I'm just going to say it now. Um, Liz is talking to Georgie and helpfully states, a Great Dane can still make a Chihuahua pregnant. Guess which one you are. If you've made it this far, if you've listened to this whole thing, thank you. And I'm sorry, but also you are truly my people. I'm going to be honest here, very honest, and say I was very, very nervous to start this podcast. <laughs> um, I wasn't embarrassed about the topic or anything. I was just nervous to be the one to take to take on the podcast about this crazy pants series. And when I saw how excited people were getting about it, I got even more nervous because I didn't want to let them down. Um, but then at some point, I just sort of reconfigured my perspective. I wanted to make this podcast because I like the series, despite you know the you know the criticisms I may have, some of the word the 
writing and the consent issues. I genuinely enjoy the series. It's so fun. And I need to talk about it with somebody else. So yeah, this podcast is pure self-indulgence. It's an excuse for me to talk about it and to get other people to come on and talk about it and record it and put it on the internet for attention. So there you go. Um, I still do hope though that you enjoyed it. I hope you, I like, I hope you got something out of it. Um, I finished my script at this point. So this is me just freewheeling, telling you how I feel. So our next episode will be with the Lusty Intellectuals, the woman from the Lusty Intellectuals podcast. Oh, and you know what? I'm gonna bring this back around. Remember at the beginning when I said that the inspiration for this podcast came from when I was listening to a living single podcast when suddenly a giant blue dildo that had been shared by Ruby Dixon's Instagram appeared on my feed? Well, it appeared on my feed because the ladies over at the Lusty Intellectuals had re- had regrammed it, posted it on their Instagram. And that's when the moment of like genius just happened. So if it wasn't for them, if it weren't for them, I don't know, I might not be here. We might not be here. You might not be listening to this, this messy, messy podcast. So yeah, they'll be the guest on our next episode. And so I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I'm gonna wrap this up now. If you would like to contact me, maybe to clarify something, ask a question, yell at me because I forgot to mention something that you love in the first book. Let me tell you, there is a whole subplot surrounding like the trackers in their arms and whether or not the bad aliens are gonna come back that I didn't even touch on because I was just so overwhelmed with all the stuff happening and did not wanna equally overwhelm you. So I had to make some sacrifices, that one got cut. But if you would like to yell at me about anything, you can tweet me at IcePlanetPod on the Twitter. Um, I do not yet have an email account. Haven't made one. I don't even have a website yet as of me recording this. I will have one. And you can find that information on the Twitter account. Again, IcePlanetPod. Um, I'm going to stick to Twitter and email for now just because... Yeah, just because, I guess. I don't, I don't even know how I would... What appropriate thing could I put on an Instagram account? What work-appropriate thing could I possibly do there? I can't even imagine. I think that's it for an episode one. I think we did it, guys. I'm really excited. I hope you enjoy. Please stick around. We're going to do every book with a different guest every week, about every week. That's my goal. And we're going to have a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of bonkers, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.